Welcome to Christ Church Conway's podcast. We hope that the resources you find here are used by the Spirit to strengthen you in your faith through the study of Scripture and theology. If you have a Bible, turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look this morning at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And um, there were some interesting things in this passage, so I'm going to I'm going to read, uh, I'm not going to read the ESV translation. I'm going to uh, read a, a, a different translation that I think gets at what Paul's prayer is about a little bit better. So this is what Paul writes. On account of this, I bow my knees to the Father from whom every family in the heavens and on earth are named, that he might grant to you according to the riches of his glory by power to be strengthened through his spirit in the inner man, Christ dwelling through faith in your hearts, those who have been rooted and established in love, that you might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and height and depth and to know the knowledge surpassing love of Christ, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And to the one who is more capable than all to do far beyond what we ask or understand according to the power working in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and forever. Amen. Most gracious Father, we ask that you would add your blessing to this reading of your word. We're reminded even in this passage that we are absolutely dependent on you, Father, Son, and Spirit, if we are to understand, if we are to grasp the gospel. And so even as we look at this this morning, would you help us by your Spirit? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, Paul comes back once again to his prayer. He, he keeps cycling back to it. This is the last time. and He kind of, he, he wraps it up and uh, and, and there's different ways that people look at this prayer. Some people see it as one long petition. I think there's actually, and, and if, you, if you're a nerd like me and want to get into why I think this, talk to me after, after church. I think there's three petitions that Paul makes for the Christian. And what's important for us to see in these petitions, or one of the things that's very important for us to see, is that all of them, though they are just in one sense, simply about Christ being formed in us. All of them have to be made to the Father because he's asking for something that we simply can't do in ourselves. I I watched this uh, video this week of, uh, there's these things called talks at Google. They're kind of like TED Talks, except they're longer. Um, And and there was this lady, I can't remember her name, she's a, a... incredible psychologist, and she was talking about willpower. And, and I thought it was a great talk. I was like, oh, this is incredible. She's talking about how to increase willpower and, and all of these different things. And she had, yeah, which, you know, I, I definitely need help with. And she had these five things to do, and I was excited about it. And I was telling Annie, and some of the kids were listening, and, and Thatcher, my youngest son, kind of heard it, and he wisely said, but all of those things take willpower, And the more I thought about it throughout the week, I was like, you know what? He's right. Because the five things, one of them was was exercise, because there's something about exercise that like 
increases some part of your brain where willpower comes from. And one of them was eating a low glycemic, high plant-based diet, okay? Um, so eating healthy. One of them was like forgiving yourself when you mess up. That's, you know, fair enough. Uh, and, and then one of them, uh, the, the other one that, that really takes a lot of willpower had to do uh, with, with kind of sitting down. Well, there were two. There was one that was me- like meditating, having a quiet time. And then one was sitting down and kind of processing before you fell what might make you fell. So that you can, you know. And the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah. What are you using willpower for? Like, lady, if I need willpower to do the things that you're saying I need to do to increase willpower. And all of a sudden, this talk at Google that I thought was like so brilliant, I was like, this was the least helpful talk I've ever heard in my life because the things I want to use willpower for are exercising and eating healthy. Like, it's all that stuff. It was a reminder that there are some things that we just can't do for ourselves. Like, like, we just, we need help from outside of us. If this is going to happen. And that's what we see in this prayer. So right at the beginning, Paul begins, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father. And then, and then he explains who the Father is. The one from whom every family in the heavens and on earth are named. I bow my knees to the Father. The one who is in charge of everything. But because see, in, in the ancient world, and it's still this way today, if to, to name something, you only do that if you have some authority over it, right? So Annie and I named our children. Other people made suggestions, but we got to pick the name of our kids. Nobody else did. We, we picked it because they're our children. Paul is saying that that's God the Father's position with every family in heaven and earth, with every person. And so he's saying, that's who I'm going to with this petition. See, if, if my, my kids know that, that if they want to do something, they've got to come ask us permission. At least when they're kids, we're getting, you know, we've got one that's a little bit older now, and that's a whole new world that we're exploring. But, but for the most part, they know, like, if I want to go to a friend's house, I've got to go ask mom and dad. If I want to do this, I've got to go. If I want an extra cookie, I've got to go. You got to go ask that. But like, they, like they, they're smart, right? Um, but they know. They know because we're the authority in their life. And, and we're the ones that can make those things happen for them. We're the ones who can give them a ride to their friend's house. God or Paul goes to, to God the Father for, for his list of things that he's asking for the Ephesians and for us because he's the one who can actually do this. And in fact, we'll skip to the end of the passage now to, to round out this first point. He can do more than this. He ends this prayer with this, this doxology to him who is able to do far more, to, who is more capable than anyone to do far beyond what we ask or understand. See, that's why he's going to the Father with this prayer. It's it's because of what the Father is capable of. 
It's because of who he is. He's the one who can actually do this. He's the one who can do actually far more than what we even think to ask. And that's what we see in in Romans. That the Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for us because we don't even know how to pray. Paul goes to the Father with, with this huge prayer that we'll get to in just a second. But he's reminding us that that we go to him because this is his world. We go to him because he's the authority. We go to him because he's the one who is actually able to answer our prayers. That's why we go to the Father. It's it's not just the formula that we're taught to pray, our Father who art in heaven. Like, no, I mean, it is that, but, but the reason that's the formula It's because of who he is and what he's capable of doing. And it's more than we can imagine. And, and, you know, we sit around and and wring our hands and and we're like, oh, can you imagine this? Or what if this were to happen? What if that were to happen? and, And we're being taught to bow before the one for whom anything we can imagine, he's more capable to bring something even greater about according to his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And we need, to, we need to remember this because when we go to God in prayer and the answer is no or later or whatever, it's never an issue of capability. It's, it's not, that's not why. He's doing something else that we may not understand, something that, that probably is better than what we do understand because he's, he's absolutely capable to do more than anything we would ask. More than than anything we would even know to ask, Paul says. That's why we go to him. That's why we go to him. It's the same reason that, that, as I said in the children's sermon, that kids go to their parents. Hey, can you you help me get this cup down? Or can you help me do this? And, and, And parents, how many times have your kids come and asked for something? And kids, you may remember these times too, where where you go and you ask your mom and dad for something. And then they realize that what you actually need is something else. That that you've actually misunderstood your own need. And so they give you something that actually solves the problem even better. Paul's saying that's what our Heavenly Father does for us. That there's times where we think we know what we need, but He actually knows what we need and is able to to give it. This also, another thing this teaches us about prayer is that we're, we're not going to out-ask God. We're not going to wear him out. Now, if you're a kid, or if you've been a kid, or if you're a parent, or have been a parent, you know what it's like to be worn out or to have someone worn out by asking. You've experienced that. Where, where you've gone into the room for the third time and... and or, or maybe your parents are more patient for the fifth time and you've asked again and they're just like, oh my word. Because they've reached their limit. They've, they've reached their own personal limit of what they're willing and able to do because they're sinners too. That's not the case with our Father. That's not the case with our Heavenly Father. We come again and again and again and we never get the whole my word. Just go watch TV or something and leave me alone. 
don't you have a bike you can ride? Right? We never get that treatment. Because he doesn't run out of caring for us. He doesn't run out of tenderness towards, towards his children. He doesn't run out of grace. He doesn't run out of mercy. He's always capable, more capable than all, to do more than we would ask or imagine. So, so Paul goes to this father and he asks three things. First, in verses 16 and 17, that he might grant to you, according to the riches of his glory, by power to be strengthened through his spirit in the inner man. That's the first part of this first petition. That he might do it. That he might grant you according to the riches of his glory, his weightiness, his ability. The, the, the word glory has a lot attached to it. It's not just that it's like, oh, it's not just that. It is that. But it's like, it's more than that. It has to do with weightiness and ability, right? That, that's what we think too, like, vapidly about glory. And so when Paul's saying, according to the riches of his glory, by power, might he do this? He's leaning into what God is capable of. He's leaning into the wonder, the majesty, the, the overwhelming power of God to work in his people and for his people. Notice, he doesn't say, might he grant you to be strengthened according to what you think you need? Might he grant you to be strengthened according to what you've asked for? It's far better. He's more capable than all to do more than we ask or imagine. Might he grant you to be strengthened by power according to his glory? Now, that means two things. One, that that's the, the, the standard, like that, that's the level. He's not concerned, like, we'll not pray for enough. We just won't ask for enough. And so he has to say, I'm going to answer this, this other prayer that you didn't even know to pray because that's what you actually need. But also, he's answering it, not that we might be glorified, but that he might be further glorified. See, this is kind of a, a two-edged sword here. There's two ways that we need to, to think about this. On the one hand, he's answering our prayer according to, to what he's capable of. On the other hand, he's answering our prayer for the end of his glory. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So that's Paul's prayer. That we would be so strengthened. How? Through his spirit. See, when we start reading this prayer, this very short prayer, and we then look back to Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, we, we realize that, okay, this is basically just kind of the Cliff Notes version of Jesus' prayer in John 17. These are the things that Jesus is asking for, that, that the Spirit would come, that, that I've given myself to them, but I'm leaving. So, Father, you give yourself by your Spirit to them and strengthen. Like It's all the same thematic things that, that's being asked for here. This is how God works. By His Spirit, through His Spirit in us. That you might be strengthened through his spirit in the inner man. 
this new self that Paul talks about. This new creation that he talks about. The, 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 the inner man as opposed to the flesh. That we might be made new by the Spirit within us. That's what Paul's desire for the Ephesians is. That we would be strengthened by the Spirit, as he says in Romans 8, to put to death the deeds of the body. To put off the old self. To put off the outer man with, with all of its desire for glory and with all of its, its self. Like that we would put that off and be strengthened in the inner man. Christ dwelling through faith in your hearts. Some translations read this as the result. I think what's going on here is, is Paul's restating the same point in a different way. That you might be strengthened through His Spirit in the inner man. That is to say, Christ dwelling through faith in your hearts. That's what is going on here. Christ is being formed in us. That's Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. That's his prayer for us, is that, that more and more from the inside out, we would be shaped and transformed into the very image of Jesus Christ, that the image of God would be restored in us by the very presence of Jesus Christ. Because that's what the presence of God does. It transforms a place from common to holy. I mean, the tent, the tabernacle, look, there's an exact replica. An exact replica of the tabernacle in Eureka Springs. And you can go look at it, and it's pretty cool. It gives you a great like visual of like, oh, okay, this was the size. This is what the, how things worked. Okay, that's pretty cool. But you realize how utterly common it is when you see that, like, oh, these brass rings, the, the paint is scratching off of them. Oh, and, like, the, the, the high priest that's in the Holy of Holies, like, he's been there for a while, and, like, his beard has, like, stuff in it, spider webs, and it's, like, falling. You, you realize, like, oh, wait, yeah, the presence of God isn't actually here. This is very, very common. And, in fact, the tabernacle in the Old Testament, apart from the presence of God, it was just a collection of materials. The reason they couldn't go into the most holy place is because God dwelt there. His very presence made that holy. And now Paul's saying that he dwells in us. Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith. See, if, if, we, if we let the, the story of the Bible and, and, and start to recognize that no, every place that God shows up get tra gets transformed from the inside out into something holy, something amazing, something other, something new, we start to realize the, the weight of Paul's prayer here. He's asking that you and I, that the Ephesians, from the inside out, would be transformed. And that's the only way it can go. It can't go from the outside in. Oh, we'll, we'll try real hard to make it go from the outside in. We try real hard. 
with our, our piety and our learning our theology and, and our doing the right things and presenting ourselves. In there, we try so hard to force holiness and, 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 and new manness and, and being strengthened. We try so hard to start from the outside and force it in, but it just doesn't work that way because we can't do it. We, we fail in our attempts to begin with, but the only one who can do this is Christ dwelling in us. In college, I was a backpacking guide out in Colorado, and there was one trip, it was, it was actually guide training, and one of the guides got hypothermia. And she was in a very bad way. And you can't really warm somebody up from the outside in. I mean, you do all the things to try. You wrap them, you burrito wrap them in sleeping bags and all this, but you've got to get fuel and warm fuel into their body so that their body can start generating heat from the inside out. And so we're like having to rub Kool-Aid in her mouth and just try to get her body going because you can't work from, it just doesn't work. It's the same way with you and I. She made it. Sorry, she was fine. Took a little bit. She pulled through. She's an art professor or something now. She stays out of the woods. It's the same way with the Christian life. We can't renew the inner man by starting with all these external things. It's something that the Father has to do by His Spirit. Christ dwelling in us. It's a work from the inside out. That's the first petition. Then he ends it to, to make sure that we know who he's talking about, those who have been rooted and established in love. Again, some people connect this with the next petition. The, it, that breaks up the grammar in a weird way. It, he, he's making clear who it is that he's talking about. Who is it that, that Christ dwells in? Who is it that, that, that God is going to grant to be strengthened by power through his spirit? It's those that he has rooted, because these are Passive participles, those that he has rooted and grounded in love. That's who this works in. Only those in whom God has already worked. In another place, Paul says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That's what Paul's praying for here. God, complete the work in these people. By your Son dwelling in them, through your Spirit, complete the work that you've begun in them. The second petition begins in verse 18. And and I love this because Paul cuts himself off in the middle of it because it's just like too great. That you might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and height and depth. And then he doesn't finish what he's talking about there. He just goes to the next thought. And I think that's how he finishes it. And to know the knowledge surpassing love of Christ. So he begins with this, what seems like this doxology that, that is often applied to God's wisdom, that it's higher and deeper and why, you know, all those things. But, but as we saw back in Psalm 103 that we read earlier as our, as our scripture reading for this week, we see the same idea there in Psalm 103, particularly in verse 11. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love 
toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Here, Paul is praying that we would be able to comprehend the width, the length, the height, the depth. In other words, the inexhaustibility of God's love for us. That's the point. It doesn't run out. It doesn't stop. His mercy is new every morning. His steadfast love, his chesed that that we've talked about, it endures forever. Paul wants us to be able to comprehend that and to know the knowledge-surpassing love of Christ. And I love the, 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 the kind of paradox, the irony of how he words that. He wants us to know something that surpasses knowledge. And again, this is a clue. The, the description of, of, of the inexhaustibility of the love of Christ and the unknowability of the love of Christ, it, it's a clue that this isn't something we can do on our own. This isn't something we can convince ourselves of. We, we can read book after book on the love of God and, and, and read all of the like people that get real excited about phileo and agape and you know, the different types of love, like whatever, like, and be utterly unconvinced and still live in the insecurity of our flesh rather than the security of God's inexhaustible love. Why? Because this isn't some kind of, you know, mathematical proof. That's not how we arrive at our knowledge of the love of Christ. This isn't just a syllogism here. Jesus died. That proves his love. Therefore, you're loved. What's your problem? But that's how we treat it sometimes. We miss that the only one that can convince us of his love for us is the Father, working through His Spirit, Christ dwelling in us. Do you struggle to live from the security of God's love for you? Yes, you do. What do you do then? You call out to Him to convince you of it. Because He's the only one that can. He's the only one that can. Some years ago, Annie and I read a parenting book. I don't remember which one it was, but, but it talked about the importance of children living in secure parental love. And, and like how vital that was to them growing up and you know being healthy, productive, what like you being a good parent, all those things, right? Annie read it closer than I did. But that's what we need to understand here. That the only one, just like the only ones that can convince my kids that that I love them is me loving them. The only one that can convince me of God's love for me is him. Now, I I can tell you about it. I do week after week. And here's the, the like wonderful thing. That's what he uses to convince us. The proclamation of the gospel. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. Building one another up in the word of God. That's why we do all of this. 
It was so fascinating. Uh, almost never, and I'm not worried about this. This is what made it interesting this morning. Almost never do people comment on like the order of worship before or after. We come, we sing our songs, we do our things. Multiple people this week commented on the songs we're singing. I'm so excited about the music this week. Why? Because song after song was about what? The love of God for us. Because we knew that this is going to be encouraging. Because I'm going to be told over and over that God loves me. And and, and I'm going to be in this position where His Spirit can work and convince me of that and ground me again in the security of His love so that I can live in this broken world that's full of insecurity and full of unknowns and full of all kinds of, of horrible, awful, fearful things that I can live in this broken world in the security of my Father's love, that I might know what is this love that surpasses knowledge. That's what Paul wants us to know. His third petition comes at the end of verse 19. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Here, there's an echo to this in in Colossians chapter 2. See to it that no one takes you captive by by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. For in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. See, each of these petitions is really asking for the same thing. That Christ would be formed in you and I by the work of God. That he who is the fullness of God, that that he in whom the fullness of God dwells bodily, that he might dwell in us fully. See, our struggles with holiness, our struggles with loving our neighbor, our struggles with with all of those things that we want to do but can't, is that Christ isn't yet fully formed in us. That the flesh and the spirit are, in fact, at war with each other. And what we need is the spirit, Christ dwelling in us, to transform us from the inside out, to convince us of his knowledge-surpassing love For us to fully indwell us with the very presence of God. That like the tabernacle, like the temple, like everything else, we might be transformed by his holy presence in us. And Paul knows the only way this happens is if God does it. And yes, he works through these regular means of grace, through prayer and sacrament and the preaching of the word. That's how he has chosen to work and to do this. But it's still him that has to do it. It's still him that has to do it. 
He's the one who makes his word effective in us. He's the one who transforms us from the inside out. He's the one who convinces us of his love for us. He's the one who fills us with this fullness. It's all grace. It's all God's initiative. It's all our Father's work in and for us. That's the Christian life. Christ, by the gracious work of God, being formed in us that we might be strengthened, that we might be convinced of the knowledge surpassing love of Christ, that we might be filled with the very presence of God. Call out to God for that. Call out to your Father for this because He is more capable than anyone else to do far more than you would ask or even imagine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the strength that we find in your word. We thank you for the hope that it gives us. We thank you that you are the kind of father to whom we can come asking that the very presence of your son might transform us from the inside out. And that this isn't even a large ask for you because you're more capable than anyone to do far more than we ask or understand. So Father, teach us to ask for more from you and continue to answer our prayers that Christ would be formed in us. In his name we pray, amen.